1 Kings chapter 19, the title of this message is, Are Things Really As Bad As You Think? 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. Have you ever felt like banging your head against a wall? <laughs> Recently I came across a fascinating sign. It was a big white rectangle with a black circle in the center. And above the circle were the words, stress relief. In the center of the circle were the words, bang head here. And beneath the circle were the following instructions. Number one, place sign on firm surface. Uh, number two, follow directions in the circle. Number three, repeat step two as necessary or until you knock yourself unconscious. Number four, once unconscious, cease stress reduction activity. Well, the sign is meant to be funny. It's a joke. But I suspect now and then a person looks at that sign and thinks, you know, that's exactly what I need to do. <laughs> I need to beat my head against that sign. In other times, the situation may be worse. A person may see such a sign and think, I've gone beyond being stressed and now I'm depressed. I'm, not a, I'm at a point where I'm not sure I even care. I don't care enough to beat my head against that sign or against a wall. I'm not sure I care enough to keep on going in life. That kind of thinking and that kind of feeling is more prevalent than one might think. And strangely enough, sometimes the last people we would ever expect to be depressed turn out to be those who are most depressed. Remember when the comedian Robin Williams committed suicide? So many thought, how could someone so good at making everyone laugh be so unhappy he would take his own life? I remember reading about a lawyer from the Midwest. At times he became so despondent, his friends thought it wise to keep knives and razors away from him. On one occasion he suffered a major nervous breakdown. On another occasion, he wrote, I am the most miserable man alive. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. Who was this man? He was the 16th president of the United States of America. His name was Abraham Lincoln. As president, and for most of his life, he suffered huge feelings of discouragement, dismay, and distress. He did not let such feelings keep him from accomplishing great things, but he struggled with them tremendously. Anyone can get depressed. Call it having the blues, call it feeling low, call it being down in the dumps, call it whatever you want to, but it is something to which everyone is susceptible and something from which no one is immune. There is no such thing as a person who never finds himself or herself starting to lose heart about life. It is definitely true that some people have a greater struggle with depression than do others, but it's also true that even a believer in Christ, even a prophet of God, can experience depression. From 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18, we're now going to see three things relating to the, the depression which came over the great prophet Elijah. 
And these things directly relate to depression or feelings of discouragement that we may find coming over ourselves. I hope such feelings do not come over us, but if they do, this passage of Scripture is important to understand and remember. The lesson and the story starts with this. Fatigue is often a factor. One of the most amazing things about the immense depression that came over the prophet Elijah is it followed a monumental achievement. A victory had been won, a truth had been shown, a point had been made. We would expect this to be cause for satisfaction and even exhilaration in his life, but it was not. Here's what happened. Fire had come down from heaven to prove that Elijah served the true and living God. The false prophets of Baal who were on the scene had been slaughtered. Elijah had gone to the top of the mountain and dropped to his knees there to ask God to bring rain. And after he prayed seven times, rain came. For three and a half years, the land had been in drought. Now, wonderful water from heaven came down in abundance. It happened in answer to Elijah's prayer. What a fantastic situation. Following that, in order to get back to the palace of Jezreel before heavy rain blocked the roads, King Ahab had driven his chariot furiously while Elijah ran ahead of him all the way. God gave Elijah special energy to do this. When they arrived back at the palace, King Ahab told his wife what had happened. You can imagine his excitement. Her name was Jezebel. He might have said, Jezebel, this is unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable. Look, it's raining. Elijah prayed to his God, and first fire came down from heaven, and then rain came down. Isn't it wonderful? Oh, by the way, he did kill all your prophets, but who cares? Now we know they didn't know what they were talking about anyway. So who needs them? Isn't this great? The drought is over, and now we all know who is telling the truth. Whatever Ahab might have said, Jezebel's response was not what we would expect. Remember when I spoke earlier in this series of messages about having a hard heart? It turns out Jezebel had a heart even harder than Ahab's had been. She was not impressed by the story of God's power. She was not moved nor changed by it. Look at the words of 1 Kings 19 verses 1 and 2. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Rather than repenting, rather than showing fear of Elijah's God, this woman said, Before tomorrow is over, I'm going to do the same thing to you that you did to my prophets. Elijah, you are a dead man. Now, how did the great man of God answer this? Did Elijah say, Jezebel, I'm not afraid of you. I've seen God make it rain. I've seen God bring dead people back to life. I've seen God make grain and oil multiply themselves to last more than a year. I've seen many miracles. You don't scare me. In fact, if you don't behave yourself, fire might come down from heaven and consume you just like it did the sacrifice I put on the altar. How would you like to become a giant female french fry? (laughs) We would think he might have said something like that, but he didn't. In light of everything we've learned of the life of the prophet Elijah so far, the words of verse 3 are shocking. 
Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. How did this happen? This was not faith in action. This was fear taking over. Elijah hightailed it out of Jezreel. The last part of verse 3 tells us he traveled all the way to Beersheba, which was in Judah. He left his servant there. Beersheba was 95 miles from Jezreel. It was in an entirely different kingdom than was Israel. Even there, Elijah did not feel safe. Commentators suggest, since the journey most likely would have been made by foot, by the time they arrived in Beersheba, Elijah's servant was too tired to travel any further. That's why he was left behind. He would have said, I've got to stay here, Elijah. I can't do this anymore. However, Elijah was so desperate to escape the clutches of Jezebel, he took off on his own and traveled another day out into the most remote place he could find. And once he was there, he had something to say to God. We find it at the end of verse 4. We are told, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Have you ever felt like that? Those words, I am no better than my ancestors, are basically an Old Testament way of saying, I'm a loser. Ever said that to yourself? Ever said that to God? I'm a loser. Might as well die. I was supposed to do something special in my life, but it just isn't going to happen. Somebody said, you know you're a loser when the doctor says, we just received the result of your recent IQ test, and I brought along these finger puppets to help explain what it means. <laughs> Somebody else has said, you know you're a loser when it requires you, or when you require an hour and a half to prepare minute rice. Uh, you know you're a loser when you don't dare stop to think, because if you do stop to think, you'll never get started again. Well, this business of Elijah feeling like a loser was not funny. This was major depression. This was a serious problem. He really did view himself as a failure and a nobody. And look at the other thing he says in that verse. I have had enough. Can anyone here relate to that? Have you ever said, I've had enough? Maybe as a parent, those kids were quarreling yet again, and you said, I have had enough. This has to stop. Maybe as an employee, you've been taken advantage of one too many times, and you've said, I have had enough. I'm out of here. Or sadly, maybe you've said it or heard it in context of a marriage. I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. I'm leaving. Well, that's what the prophet is saying about his life. I've had enough of this business of being a prophet. God, why don't you just go ahead and kill me? This attitude seems impossible. How could he feel this way? Things had not gone wrong. Everything had been victory with the exception of one threat from a nasty woman, yet Elijah feels like his entire world has collapsed. I see two things in this that we need to take to heart about depression. Number one, depression almost always involves viewing problems and challenges in a way that is out of proportion with reality. 
Depression often leads people to improperly value or view themselves and then mistakenly devalue themselves. It's a critical factor as to why people commit suicide. They wrongly decide that life is not worthwhile to continue. And what a terrible conclusion to reach. What a wrong conclusion to reach. Things were not as bad as Elijah thought they were. And the same thing applies to us when we get depressed. Things are not as bad as we think. But we allow our difficulties to be magnified as we minimize and sometimes totally disregard the blessings that are staring us in the face. Elijah was not a failure. Elijah was not a nobody. Elijah was not a loser. His opinion of himself and his evaluation of the situation was wrong. And if we ever think we have a reason to give up on life, we too are wrong. A number two thing to take to heart about this is when a person is run down physically, the physical stress can lead to mental and emotional struggles. Elijah was really tired. I think this is why he reacted so badly to Jezebel's threats in the first place. Before her threat, he'd been at Mount Carmel having a showdown with false prophets. During that time, it's doubtful he slept much. That time would have spanned 24 hours or more. Then he'd run a marathon to get to Jezreel. Leading up to all of this, there had been years of trying to stay out of the hands of King Ahab. He probably had thought, well, once fire come down from heaven and once the rain comes, my battles will be over and all the threats will be gone. He was tired of running. He was tired of fighting. He was tired of hiding. He was ready to rest in his success. Then he finds out he can't rest. The battles aren't over after all. And he overreacts to this and he makes a bad decision. Is that not another thing we do too? When we are tired, we overreact. When weary and worn out, we make bad decisions. The bad decisions we make at such times make things worse than they already were. Elijah piled one bad decision on top of another, already exhausted. But rather than standing up to Jezebel, he rushes more than 95 miles away to find a place to hide. Certainly didn't sleep and eat much in that process. And he'd already been worn out before it all began. It is a practical reason why he felt life was no longer worth living. He was physically wiped out, and it led to him being spiritually wiped out. Now listen to me. This may not sound like a very spiritual truth, but it is. We must understand when we do not take care of ourselves physically, we endanger ourselves spiritually. There is a connection between the body and the attitudes and the actions. And the reason this connection exists is because this is the way God made us. God made us as creatures with limits. He did not create us just to be able to go, 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 go with never a rest. We are creatures who need adequate sleep and adequate nourishment. When we make bad choices about those things, we set ourselves up for failure in other areas of life. Listen to the words of Psalm 127, verse 2. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. The preceding verse, Psalm 127, 1 says, Except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. The builders labor in vain, except the Lord watches over the city. The guards stand watch in vain. These words are about trust. 
We're to trust God's ability to take care of us. We are to trust God's ability to take care of everything else. We're not to behave as if it's totally up to us to fix the world around us. And we are not to drive ourselves into the ground trying to solve our own problems and cure our own ills. A long time ago, I heard someone say, worry is taking on responsibility God never intended for you to have. There's a need for rest. There's a need for nourishment. There's a need to trust that God can and will take care of things as we try to live the balanced lives he has created us to live. This brings us to the second key thing you see in the story. Food can be part of the solution. (laughs) This too doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? But it is. The text shows us Elijah wants to die. He's so depressed, he's asking God to take him out of this world. After he makes his request, he lays down and falls asleep. Watch how God deals with him. I don't think you would expect this unless you already know the story. The last part of verse 5 and the words of verse 6 say, All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Isn't that interesting? Is that how we would expect God to deal with someone suffering from major depression? Is that how we would expect God to deal with somebody who was just asked to die? God did not say to Elijah, do you know what your problem is? You aren't praying enough. That's it. And you aren't reading your Bible enough, and this is what happens to people who miss Wednesday night prayer meeting. If you'd work harder at being a good Christian, you wouldn't get so discouraged. Nothing like that. People say that kind of thing, but God didn't. To the contrary, he sent an angel not to lecture the prophet, not to dump a load of guilt on him, but to make sure the prophet got a proper meal And a lot of time to sleep. And verse 7 says, The angel ministered to Elijah more than once. Double emphasis here. Verse 7, The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. The angel was saying, You need to pace yourself. you got a long ways to go here. You need to get your strength. So let's make this personal. If there's someone in this congregation now who's struggling with stress and possible depression, if there's someone here who is feeling like maybe you do want to give up on some important things in life, maybe on life itself, get some good meals in you. Get some rest. Take the advice of the angel and get yourself physically stabilized before you make any kind of major decision. Because physical stability does make a difference in finding spiritual stability. Brings us to the third and final part of the story. Focus must be on who God really is. Does the name Mount Horeb sound familiar? If you've spent much time studying the Bible, it should. It is the place where Moses received the Ten Commandments. It is the place where God met with that leader of Israel to give instruction for the entire nation. Mount Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. 
Some scholars suggest the mountain has two high points, and each was known by a different name. So if you looked at the mountain from one direction, you would call it Mount Sinai, but if you looked at it from the other direction, you would call it Mount Horeb. We don't really know if that's true or not. We don't know why both names apply to the same place, but we do know they applied to the same place. This is the place where Moses communed with God. This was a sacred mountain. Well, once Elijah was properly fed by the angel, he went to Mount Horeb. He went to the place where Moses had had his communion with God. And surely the intention for Elijah was to have a meeting with God. Verse 8 says, so he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. It would not have required 40 days to get to the mountain. It wasn't that far away. It appears Elijah's journey was slow and meandering. It was time for him to get a grip on himself. It was days away from stress and challenges. It was days in which he could think about who he was and what his life was supposed to be. We need times like that, don't we? Well, upon arriving at the mountain, we're told he found a cave and he made it his place of shelter. It was in this place where God dealt with him. The last part of verse 9 God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? The prophet was called upon to explain his actions, and he was ready to do it. He had been thinking about it. But sad to say, although 40 days had gone by and he'd had much time to analyze the situation, he still did not have his head on straight. He still had a bad attitude. And this too happens to us. Even when we have time to think things through, do you know what sometimes we do? We just keep thinking the same thing over and over again the whole time we have to think things through. And we especially do it if this thing we're thinking somehow we think justifies ourselves. So Elijah responds, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. In 1963, the singer Leslie Gore had a hit called It's My Party. A key part of the song was, It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. I'll cry if I want to. I'll cry if I want to. And you would cry too if it happened to you. Well, that's pretty much what Elijah's saying. He believed he had a good reason to be unhappy. Therefore, he was going to stick with his choice to be unhappy. He was enjoying his personal pity party. And what a silly thing to do. What a silly thing to decide you have a right to be happy. Therefore, you're going to be unhappy. Do you really want to be unhappy? It doesn't make sense to try to stick with that choice. But Elijah did it and people do it. It's important for us to observe his use of the personal pronoun in this. He said, I have been zealous. I am the only one left. They're trying to kill me. It was I, I, me. No comment about the power of God. No statement about the presence of faith. All about self. Woe is me. I'm the only one who seems to care. If it wasn't for me, this whole thing would fall apart. Now, that is a very effective way to ensure that you remain miserable if you are. And that is to think that whatever the situation is, it's all about you. Everything is up to you. Some years ago, a study was done of professional people in America in the matter of burnout. 
Burnout's a term for physical or mental collapse caused by overwork and stress. The study found that one of the professions in which there is the highest level of burnout is, want to take a guess? Pastoral ministry. Preachers seem to be more susceptible to this kind of thing than almost any other kind of worker. When I first heard that conclusion, I was surprised. But as I thought more about it, I realized I shouldn't be so surprised because there's a tendency for pastors in their passion to help as many people as possible and to fix as many problems as possible to forget that they are not the saviors of the church nor of the people in the church. The pastors start thinking like Elijah did. There are pastors who operate as if the whole church will fall apart for them, uh, if not for them. If they're not there, this place has no chance. That's a very quick way to defeat yourself. You start thinking that way. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why it's such a good thing you gave Pastor Mark a sabbatical. Not only is there a need for refreshment and renewal after a man's been in ministry for a long time, but there also needs to be the testimony to the pastor and the church that it's not a man who keeps the church together. It's God who keeps the church together. Well, Elijah somehow led himself to believe that everything was up to him. If he didn't do it, nobody would. If he didn't solve it, nobody could. So he needed a reminder as to who his God was, is and what his God can do. Look at verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. What does this mean? It means Elijah was about to be reminded of who God is. The next part of the verse says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. It was an awesome display of power. It was an incredible presentation of might and force. But it was not a revelation of who and what God really is. Verse 12 goes on to say, After the earthquake came a fire, but God was not in the fire. This was another demonstration of supernatural potency. But it was not a revelation of God himself. Then we come to the last statement of verse 12. After the fire came a gentle whisper. That's the modern translation. I grew up in the King James Version, which says it was a still, small voice. When Elijah heard it, he stepped to the entrance of the cave. Then he heard the voice again. And it was that same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Well, the prophet repeated his earlier assertion. Once again, he stated he was the only one left who cared about God's will and cared to stand up for God's truth. And God didn't argue with him. God had no need to explain himself. And by the way, God has no need to explain himself or convince people that he's right and they are wrong. God does not need to argue with us. The Lord simply told the prophet what to do next. And in the process made it clear that the prophet's evaluation of the situation was incorrect. <clears throat> Elijah was told to go to Damascus and anoint Hazel as king of Syria. He was told Jehu would become the new king in Israel, which meant Ahab was going to go. He was told there was someone named Elisha who would be anointed as a prophet in his Elijah's place. 
He was told that between Haziel, Jehu, and Elisha, evildoers would be wiped out. Not only was there hope for the nation, there was promise of change for good. Finally, he was told he was wrong in thinking he was the only one who cared for the things of God. Remember we said you blow the situation out of proportion. You don't see things properly. Look at verse 18. The Lord is speaking. He says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah, you are not the only one. I have 7,000 more. This was a message to the prophet saying, This pity party of yours has to stop. One of the meanings of the word focus is to get a clear picture of things. By way of his conversation with God, Elijah finally got the proper point of view. He was led to see that he was wrong. He was led to see that things were not as bad as he thought. He was led to see that hope was not lost. He was led to see that there were still things for him to do. And there was yet a reason for him to live. In conclusion, there's a fable about a man who was losing his memory. This is just a fable. He went to the doctor for advice. The doctor said, I can fix your memory problem, but unfortunately, to do so, I will destroy your eyesight. So you need to decide. Would you rather have your memory or your eyesight? The man thought carefully and eventually replied, I prefer my eyesight because I'd rather see where I'm going than remember where I've been. That's a weird thought, and I'm not sure I agree with it. But I do know the need spiritually to see where we are going and more important to see where God is leading. What is the significance of God speaking to Elijah in a quiet whisper rather than through thunder, earthquake, wind, and fire? It was to give him understanding that the solution to his problem was not a show of force. It was a realization of relationship. The prophet needed to see that God is not about smashing people down every time they're wrong. A life of faith is not about being afraid of God or afraid of others. A life of faith is about knowing God himself. Real faith in the real God of the universe necessitates a real relationship with that God. We are to listen to his voice. Are you? Or are you just rushing off in life and thinking God somehow got to catch up with you? That was Elijah's attitude. It's almost as if, God, you just don't know how bad it is. God's always ahead, never behind. Listen to his voice. Follow where he leads. Trust as he works. Rest in his ability to do anything and everything that needs to be done. We're to be constantly looking to him, our God, for direction, comprehension, and solution. When we put the focus on self, we start down the path that leads to misery. We put the focus on who God is and what God can do and our understanding of what God wants. Then we find peace and inner strength and true joy all along the way in life. The ultimate cure for depression is gaining a wonderfully clear view of who God really is and our personal opportunity to know him for who he really is. Would you please bow your heads, close your eyes.
that we can make this very personal. Are you listening for God's voice? Or are you rushing headlong into things, thinking everything's up to you? If you don't solve it, nobody will. Are you paying attention to what God is telling you, God is showing you? Are you trusting God to work things out, or are you thinking somehow you are the Savior? And if you are one who's depressed and discouraged, have you let things get blown out of proportion? Have you let yourself get too tired, too worn down? And then just let one thing pile on another and all of a sudden you're not seeing things clearly and it's time to step away from it. Get yourself from rest and most of all, remind yourself of who God is. Father, speak to our hearts. Thank you for the strength you bring to our lives. Help us to know you in that personal way. Help us to be able to hear your quiet voice. May our confidence and our faith be in who you are and what you will do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.